0: Hello everyone and welcome to Sweating the Small Stuff, a show where we sweat over the details that make our world richer. I'm your personal brain trainer, Cameron Boozard-Jamari, and today I'm joined yet again by... By your raspy brother, your personal mind fiend, Keon Boozard-Jamari. We just woke up, so like both of our voices are kind of raspy. It's it's cool. Yeah, we're on. We're both eating those raspberries <laughs> just all last night. Just so much of it. Is that what the name comes from? I think so, Yeah. This has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today. I mean, it could be replicated, maybe. Ah, perfect segue. There we go. So, sweet brother, I brought you on to this episode because you are a uniquely positioned expert for the topic that I've been wanting to bring on this show for so freaking long. You see, in Sweating the Small Stuff, we like to take the ideas and implications of a single idea from a show or movie or whatever Mm -hmm. and really investigate what would that thing what would it become? What would it really be in our world? And the one that I've been trying to figure out how to bring onto this show since the very inception of Sway the Small Stuff was the Universal Replicator. Is it? I think it's just a replicator from the popular franchise Star Trek. Yeah, I don't think that there's many limits on the replicator, so Universal probably works just fine. And to that point, mm-hmm. it does exactly what it says. It is the 3D printer of the future. It replicates everything oh, it okay. replicates trumpets it replicates food i'm assuming you're familiar with this yeah yeah i've, I've seen a uh, episode you've
1: seen a star trek i'm surprised they haven't brought that up in the movies I don't, I don't think i've seen
0: the representation of a replicator in the movies at all that's actually a good point huh all right fans i trust you if we don't if there was a clear representation of the replicator well, I think you're thinking of the more recent movies. I'm pretty yes, sure yes, they were in the, the older recent movies. movies. I take that back. It's okay. Our loyal fans, we figured it out. We got there. I'm actually curious if
1: like they were they deliberately left them out of, I, I don't remember them in the older movies either, if they just deliberately
0: left them out to be like, let's not pull on that thread. This is not plot-centric. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing. 3D printers are like the forerunners of the replicator you have some sort of random material that is nondescript in the Star Trek universe that can become any material. It's it's supposed to be the assembling of atoms, but the problem is like there's such a wild number of atoms being assembled in such a wild number of configurations. It's hard to understand what material goes in other than literally all the different kinds of atoms and what comes Mm -hmm. out. Yeah, yeah. And so what we need your help with Sweet brother, yes. sweet mind fiend Mm -hmm. is we want to walk through a universe in which we live in the distant future and we want to see when we zoom out past just the idea of having a machine that can make anything, Mm -hmm. what is it like programming it, like creating the files that would go into it to make things? What is the creative community around it? What are the things that go into having a box that sits in your house and makes you whatever you want? So let me quickly
1: describe 3D printing technology. The way that it works is that you have a kind of thread of plastic that goes on a spool, which is called filament. The filament is fed into the printer and heated up super hot. Mm -hmm. And then super hot. (laughs) So it's, it's made super warm. Yeah. And then it is extruded through a little extruder. It's a little nozzle. Onto a build plate, and then that plate, either the nozzle is moved in three dimensions, or the plate is, like, a combination
0: of the nozzle and the plate are moved in three dimensions. Let me try and give a facsimile that maybe more of our listeners who aren't familiar with 3D printers will understand. I'm thinking of when you're, like, watching a baking show, and they need to put on those finishing touches on the cake, and so they put the uh, frosting in the bag, and then they start dousing out the frosting onto the cake. Mm -hmm. But instead of doing it on just the surface of the cake, you're saying we're doing it layer by layer, building up a big... 3d dinosaur mm-hmm. cake
1: yeah so that's that's a perfect example that like hey hey listener at home think of if you have a little piping tube for frosting and you are piping it in a circle and they're like wait I want this to be a cylinder so then you pipe more in the same circle and then the same circle up and the same circle up and up yeah and if this is perfect frosting like buttercream is because it's perfect frosting false it might, yes so it might keep its same structure as it goes up and up and up and then you have a cylinder of frosting and a 3d printer does the same thing with plastic but since plastic plastic is stronger, and when it's fed out of the nozzle, it's really warm, then it does its first layer, but there's also a fan that then cools it pretty quickly after, mm-hmm. and then cools and lays and cools and lays and cools and lays, and then it creates this product. Mm-hmm. Now, it does it, so the resolution by which you get your 3D model printed is based on how thick the layers are. Mm -hmm. So if I want something to look like super high fidelity, like a 3D print of either of our heads or something Mm -hmm. like that, then I'm gonna want a really, really thin layer height. And that then elongates how long the print is gonna take because that makes more layers that it has to do. Mm -hmm. Like we said, okay, well I make a cylinder and then I make a circle and a circle and a circle and then make cylinders. Well, if we're gonna do it for a 3D print of a head, then those layers by which you're laying the frosting need to be really thin. That's the way to think about it.
0: And the reason the replicator is like the logical end game for this is because now you're saying we're not just printing specifically plastic at like whatever millimeter or mm-hmm. layer. We're literally just putting each layer of atoms yeah. at the atomic level in whatever order we want. Mm-hmm. And the other thing about the replicator that sets it apart from the 3D printer is because you take so long to set each layer of plastic, the plastic can't always support itself, right? You need mm-hmm. to add some sort of supports as it's printing to make sure it can support its own weight when it gets to like the bigger, higher parts of it. Yeah.
1: So now we're getting into intermediate level here mm-hmm. of, of thinking about 3D printing, in which, so let's use that same example where we have the frosting. So you're going in a, in a circle, but you're like, wait, I want this to like kind of be like a little vase or a bowl shape. So then you start like moving a little bit farther out and so the layers that you're laying the frosting on are not really touching each other anymore. Well, how are you gonna do that? Maybe you take a piece of plastic or like some skewers or toothpicks or something and you put it underneath the kind of rigid frosting Mm -hmm. and that helps it keep its shape as you go up and up and up. You kind of make this weird scaffolding that'll help you make this frosting vase or vase or Mm -hmm. you know bowl. Now, that's what a 3D printer also does, is it uses the same type of plastic to create the scaffolding or supports, like you said, mm-hmm. that help you make these complex shapes. So like a face, if you're like, okay, cool, I'm making this head. Well, the nose kind of juts out and there's nothing directly underneath it, so therefore a support would need to be made right up into the, Under the, the nose, nose. Yeah, Yeah. and the way that it can be separated pretty easily because you think, wait, that's plastic on plastic, That why would they break apart? Isn't the point of a 3D printer for it to be strong? is that it has a slightly more distance between the two, in Mm -hmm. which the plastic can droop a little bit, but it's not directly touching it. Mm -hmm. It's not directly like having the same amount of contact that the other plastic is. That's how that works. But to do something as complicated as maybe an organ or a person or what, whatever you would put in, I mean, for a replicator, let's say a taco, like a perfectly created taco, <laughs> then for you to do that, then there's so much stuff in between and all those things that the supports in between, how are you even going to get those out? And like, what would even happen for you to be able to make that? And it would look perfectly like a taco that's in your mind,
0: you know? And the entire point of the replicator is saying, all right. If 3D printing was like the old... No, it's like 3D printing, I think, compared to Replicator, is honestly like the horse and carriage to a modern car. Mm -hmm, It's mm -hmm. saying like... Or a spaceship. A spaceship. That's actually a perfect one because the thing is... The 3D printer that we use today, there are actually lots of different filaments, as I understand you can put into them. You yeah. can actually... There's research into printing full-on organs using some sort of flesh material. I can't imagine you know a lot about that. Because none of us... Stuff like that. We're not experimental doctors. I'm not going to hold either yeah. of us to it. But the idea is that in the future, each layer is placed all together simultaneously where each specific atom can goes in place. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing is when you make a 3D print... It does doesn't say like the ball or whatever. Someone had to create basically a, a CAD file, is that how it's referred to? So the way that it works is that, so for a 3D printer to
1: move in those layers, like if you're piping the frosting, mm-hmm. and you move in a circle. Well, to tell the computer, okay, well move from this coordinate to this coordinate to this coordinate on the first layer and then move up to the next layer and these coordinates and this and this and this, that it needs to be fed instructions, which mm-hmm. are, it takes a CAD file which is a 3D model and then it turns it into a G-code, which is what it's called, which is does, literally... Does
0: the G stand for anything?
1: I honestly don't know off the top of my head, but the the G-code file literally just says, okay, hey, the 3D printer needs to home itself, like go to the area which is zero on the X, Y, and Z coordinates. And that's like, cool, now that I know exactly where I am... Now I have these list of coordinates, which the G-code is legitimately just a big, long list of coordinates, and it says, okay, for this speed and this travel velocity or whatever that is, you need to move to this coordinate, now to this coordinate, now to this coordinate, and this coordinate, and it just keeps going in a path, and it goes and goes and goes, and then after that first layer is done, and it says, okay, cool, move up a little bit on the Z-axis, now go to this coordinate, this coordinate, this coordinate. So you would need to create a file for like an organ or a taco or whatever, that distinctly has not only where it needs to go in 3D space, but then, okay, well, this element, this specific element needs to be in this location in 3D space, this mm-hmm. atom, this stuff to make up the elements of, like, I don't know, chicken in a taco over and like all the meat and cheese and all that stuff, like to be able to lay that down for one layer, then the next layer, and the next layer, and the next layer. And the problem is that for what we have right now, for a 3D printer, as an example, to just do two types of filament, mm-hmm. like two different pieces of plastic going into it, is really annoying because you can't just have it say, okay, cool, I have two nozzles, one nozzle does this plastic, the other nozzle does this plastic. For each layer, it basically does, okay, let's use this plastic first, now let's use the second plastic. And for each layer, it has to do basically two passes. And it depends on the 3D printer, but if you have a 3D printer that only uses one nozzle with two different plastics, it sends out the first plastic for the first layer Mm -hmm. then it goes and makes what's called a purge block where it purges that first color then puts in the second color this is so freaking wild it's so much and you you basically have more plastic being thrown away in the purge block than you have the actual 3d print and it sucks so there's just so much right now that we're kind of like in the early stages of it but i mean if we the most perfect way that this could work out is if you were able to have thousands of different nozzles, thousands of different elements. Well, for elements, I mean, they don't need to be thousands. But then they create molecular structures, like all these nozzles combined together to create these molecular structures that can then be laid in specific coordinates in this 3D space and then layer and layer and layer create
0: a taco. And that's kind of the big thing is, first of all, you want the file because you don't want to have to manually sit there and remember how to lay each individual layer. It's going to be Mm -hmm. hard for you to translate what you saw in a model into what, The machine needs to do to get you the thing. The other reason you would really want to make sure this was a programmatic file is just because there is so many variables that can come in when you go to not just the one filament. Now you have individual atoms all have to snap Mm -hmm. together at a moment to make the replicator. But I think this is actually speaking to a much bigger thing, which is a lot of people right now, they have 3D printers. They don't create CAD files or anything. They go into communities that have already figured out how to make this specific thing that they want to print. So all they have Mm -hmm. to do is, like, that's the great thing about a file you don't actually need to know anything about using CAD software Mm -hmm. to make the file. You can go into a thing like Thingiverse or...
1: Yeah, there's Thingiverse, there's Tinkercad, there's a bunch of different online... I think there's MyMiniFactory, where you can download free 3D models and 3D print them. Actually, for anyone at home that has a Windows computer, you can right now go to your start menu search bar thing to the apps on your computer and type in 3D Builder. It is a 3D modeling software that comes with your computer that also can be used as a slicer, which creates those layers I was talking about, which creates the G-code that you can put into a printer. So already with Windows, you can make a 3D model incredibly easily. I actually use it to finish my 3D models if I need to mirror them or if I need to give it. It actually shows you, oh, well, this won't print that well. Let me do a couple of quick things to
0: flip normals and make it printable. I'm like, thank you, Free Software. I'll take that. But here's what I really want to get at with exactly what you're getting at is like, first of all, the proliferation of the software, the fact that like this is literally just on your computer means that so many people have access to this technology Mm -hmm. and it's only going to grow from here. So this is really what I want to talk about today. Mm -hmm. In the future, when we have all these 3D printers and all of them need all these sophisticated CAD files down to an atom, there must be a wild like maker space. In the future, <laughs> where people are actively sharing their different 3D print CAD files for like a cactus mm-hmm. or a taco, like, yeah, I like tacos just fine, but I like my specific taco down to the atom oh in God, this configuration. Yeah. And you too can taste this exact taco in your own home. What I love about it is that, like, not only with the maker
1: community, I mean. You'll find if you go into Thingiverse or whatever, if you t- like look at the recommended 3D models, they're like, "Look at this, isn't this cool?" As you look at them, you're like, "This is interesting." And then once you like go even like a couple layers deep, you're like, "What is this?" And like people just have like Yoda heads on a bunch of different 3D mm-hmm. models and just a bunch of crazy stuff. So I love to think about that maker community in the future that's just like, you've tried a taco, but have you tried a dinosaur taco <laughs>
0: or whatever? See, this is the other thing that I want to understand is right now, a lot of the stuff that you see going into 3D prints, is it's a little limited by what 3D printers can do. It is a question of how fine of a resolution can you make something. You're limited by materials. You're limited by some potential structural abilities or intricacies. And then at the end of the day, a lot of these softwares, you can get extremely detailed, but if I want to make a face, I'm not going to bust open... Was it called 3D Builder? Yeah, 3D Builder. 3D Builder. I'm not going to open, like, AutoCAD or something. I If I can find a way to just scan in a person's face, like something a la Mission Impossible, mm-hmm. where they just, like, they have, like, the photos and then they... Or no, they actually have, like, a scanner and they hold it up to the guy's face and it prints... Like the mask for them. So I don't want to alarm you. That's totally current technology. That, exactly. Not,
1: not the 3D printing, not them printing the mask, especially as quickly as they do it. Mm-hmm. But to 3D scan someone's face, you basically just need an iPhone. So all the new iPhones that have the face scanning technology, you know, their like face what mm-hmm. recognition to let you like basically their new like locking and unlocking thing, that actually uses stereolithography to like shoot out a couple of really small rays at your face to say, Mm -hmm. okay, his face has the or her face has the same contour as the face that I'm used to. Now, when you use that, if you're looking at your phone, you're like, cool, okay, this unlocked. The fact that it's sending out those rays to like kind of map your face Mm -hmm. can then be used since it's on a small scale just to get like kind of from your eyes to your nose area. You can then put your phone on a tripod and then kind of just move your face around and it starts to map your face and your head and all that stuff. And you can do it with most things that this is, I, I don't remember the name of the apps, but there are free apps out there that do this for you. And then you can take that really high resolution. And then it, it also takes a photo with your phone's camera and then creates an actual texture for it, which is called photolithography, which is taking
0: photos, putting it on a 3D model. So now you have a... Hold p- up, hold up. We got to stop because you, you just said like three words that went over my head. And I'm yeah, supposed yeah. to have some semblance of expertise here. Okay. So... First thing, we have, you call it a stereo lithography. Yes, so a lithograph is a kind of a laser, the it idea of a laser. It sounds like something out of Thomas Edison's workshop. So cool. So
1: stereolithography means using two lasers to find something in 3D space, or multiple lasers to find things in 3D space.
0: Because like whenever we take a picture, we're basically like just taking a snapshot of depth and turning it into a flat array of pixels. We're saying like... This arrangement of pixels is supposed to represent this 3D depth-filled room. But it's only in 2D. Yeah. But if you have two... And that's how 3D... Like, that's how that's your how, eyes work. Yeah, and that's what's crazy. It's like you only need the two images because your brain or a computer can do all the math of saying, all right, as we slowly merge these two images, what's off about each one from this angle lets me figure out how far away anything really is in the image. Mm-hmm. And so for the
1: 3D scan from your phone... The fact that it sends out an array of light out at your face means that it knows, okay, well, this laser went this far and this laser went this shallow and all mm-hmm. these things to, to create the 3D model for you. And the fact that you have your phone camera as well that's pointed at your face means that it can also take pictures of your face and graft those pictures onto the 3D model and create a really nice like colored 3D model of you. So all that like Mission Impossible technology exists on an iPhone today. The only difference is that how are you going to get it onto a latex mask and all that stuff. And that's like a little bit more advanced 3D printing I don't really know about right now.
0: But that's the thing is I imagine you would need some fancy like laser scanner to be able to like let's say I want to do a cocaine. Mm -hmm. And I want to scan it and I assumed you'd want like some big laser grid that would go over it and be able to tell me the exact depth of each point so I could like reconstruct I guess a cylinder is pretty simple for it to reconstruct, but the intricacies of a human face where we have the ridges on our nose Mm -hmm. and we have mustache. You'd be very
1: surprised, honestly. So right now there's also technology that I've been doing research into, which is called LiDAR technology. LiDAR. Yeah, it's existed for a long time. Don't remember what the acronym means, but what it does is it takes literally one laser point (laughs) and then it shoots it like kind of aims it up and down really Mm -hmm. fast to create a like kind of a line Mm -hmm. and then it spins that in a circle. Mm -hmm. And so that creates a cylinder, like a very, very high definition cylinder of that just shoots out and gathers information on okay, this is this far away.
0: This is this far away. This is this far away. And for anyone who's familiar with a lot of the like jankier looking autonomous cars, Mm -hmm. that's kind of what you're seeing is when they have that weird periscope looking thing on top, that's usually a LIDAR system. So there's you'll notice in that like slit or window there is the thing pumping up and down trying to get that scan, and then the fact that it's spinning so fast is getting the full map around you. Yeah. And so
1: that's LiDAR technology is that it's getting all of those little lasers super quickly, like really, really fast, that it's mapping all of the areas. So for you to get a really high fidelity, that's what they use to map areas for construction. Or Mm -hmm. if they fly over them, they actually use this in a really interesting documentary. I don't remember the name of it, but they actually went to... I think it was an old Aztec area that was like a mountain mm-hmm. and it had been, you know, grown over and there were trees and vines and everything, but they flew over a helicopter or a drone. I think it might've just been a drone with a lidar on it and scanned the area. And you can, based on the depth they took away, okay, well this foliage is at this depth, And they kind of like went down on the 3d model and found just this amazing like structure that was just hidden by all of these, all of these plants. And like, wow,
0: that's been here all this time. And we wouldn't have known it unless we had this technology. Okay, that's pretty wild. And I think that brings us back to the replicator in that like, you have to do this. Like, That is just to get the outline of an object that you want in plastic. But now I want the full atomic structure of something down to the specific atoms. Mm -hmm. And so I think, and this is going to be a quick plug for another Star Trek technology, but I think there's actually a solution for this that Star Trek presents us with, and they always talk about it. The transporter is... Exactly, a 3D printer. Oh, yeah. It is a machine designed to break down people, store their atomic structure in some sort of code in the transporter buffer, and then reassemble those atoms somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And so I think that answers one problem of the replicator while while bringing up a new one of the transporter. Because the thing is, it's implied... Although, depending on which transporter definition you subscribe to, the, the transporter is supposed to break you down and transport your atoms. Mm-hmm. But we've seen like wild cases where Riker ends up with a doppelganger, yeah. which implies that it doesn't break down your atoms, and it just takes the current snapshot of you that it broke down somewhere and assembles it using some other material or atoms somewhere else, mm-hmm. which and strongly implies you die.
1: Yeah, it's frightening. Like Honestly, on a philosophical
0: moral level, it's just disturbing to think about but on a more fun level it gives us a real clear idea of exactly how you'd be able to take say pancakes and make them something that you could easily share because when it's in the transporter buffer you have the exact copy of what the code for those pancakes looks like yeah and then you just share that file with everyone and with the replicator can have pancakes or Riker. Yep, exactly I love the
1: idea. Right now, I'm thinking in my mind because I've seen a lot of these forums where it's like, okay, cool. I made this 3D model of this helmet or this thing, and other people make the same helmet 3D models, and then you see like reviews of them. Like mm-hmm. this one didn't print too well. This one printed really well. This one's high fidelity. <laughs> so that of like one pancake, like one type of pancake, this seemed pancake's like fine. so fine. Yeah, exactly. Your Just, version of Aunt Jemima's is not true yeah, to the original like, recipe. You guys got the the. <laughs> Yeah. You guys got the syrup to pancake ratio just right. And it's nice and warm and crisp. So good. It feels just like, like, that's also a freaky thing to think about, like trying to mimic the crispness that comes off of a pan on a pancake, mm-hmm. but like in a 3D model, like that just, it's freaky to think about. And then like
0: the reviews that are like consumed within three minutes or else we'll get super soggy because mm-hmm. that's the other thing is like plastic. The entire intention of the 3D print right now is, to make something that is going to exist in its current state mm-hmm. for the rest of basically however long it's on the shelf until... As I understand, there's a way to mulch plastic and basically reuse it. Yes, but it's it's annoying, honestly. Yeah. So unless you want to recycle that plastic for another build, its expectation is once I've 3D printed this doodad, it will exist in that form until the end of its usefulness. Either that or it could be turned into
1: a mold, and then you, know, you can fill that mold with a resin or something to create a
0: kind of copy of that in a stronger material. But the flip side of that is you're trying to replicate something in a state that is going to change. It's going to start off as a pancake, Hmm. but then it's going to slowly have syrup and butter soak into it. And then at some point you're going to eat it and digest it. And so that's the other interesting thing to think about is you're making this food or you're making this thing. But the typical assumption is that that thing will not stay in the state it was printed for very long. It will yeah. end up in a different state very quickly. Mm-hmm. And on that bombshell, I think it's time to end. You just blew my mind. I can't, I'm, I'm kind of broken right now. <laughs> so, Mr. Mindfiend, if people would like to learn more about you or maybe some of your 3D printing work, yeah. where, where could they hit you up? So you can
1: find me and my work at Print3D LLC on all social medias. Instagram is where I have a lot of my work, but on Etsy you can find like actually buy things that I make. You can also find me online on Instagram at keonbuzar.cinema and keonbuzar.3D for my VFX and my photography type stuff. You can also find me on A
0: Podcast and Lockcast for other creative stuff that I've been doing. Nice to know you get around, man. As for us at Swing the Small Stuff, you can find all of our stuff at Small Stuff Show. If you've been enjoying the show, please do let us know. Just hit us up, Show, on all social medias, smallstuffshow at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode and think you know someone else would enjoy this episode, please go find them, sit them down and share this episode with them because we are just on this mission to get crazy creative ideas out there and show you the incredible things hiding behind your favorite content. And if you have really cool ideas that you think we're overlooking, share them with us. We just gave you like all of our contact info, so hit us (laughs) up. As for me, I've been your personal brain trainer, Cameron Boozard Jamari, reminding you from movies to media to the world around us, it's details like these that make it worth sweating the small stuff. (music)
1: Blew your freaking mind. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of the perfect pancakes now.